does have it all. All of our pre-owned vehicles are Hubler Q certified, which include a 128-point vehicle inspection, a free Carfax vehicle history report, and two warranties. A two-year, 100,000-mile powertrain warranty and a 30-day, 1,000-mile comprehensive warranty. Visit any of our 13 locations today or click drivehubler.com. You're listening to the best of Kevin Inquiry on 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. Indiana Convention Center is where we are. The NFL Combine is why we're here. And yesterday, a busy day. Uh, to kind of recap for everybody, the big story here at the Combine yesterday was that of Jalen Carter, who many believe is, you know, potentially in the non-quarterback division, certainly the number one pick probably in the draft. And depending on what happens and who ends up at number one, if it's not a quarterback, he was one uh, dynamic talent out of Georgia that was thought to be there. I just looked up of the the Football Hall of Fame All-Decades team of the 2000s, first and second team defensively, there are five players that were drafted inside of the top ten of all of those that were listed in All-Decade teams. Five were drafted inside of the top ten. Only one, uh, which would be Brian Urlacher, played in a Super Bowl for the team that drafted him. It just seems like, Kevin, you know, you can get I mean, obviously great players all, all across the draft, but taking a guy in the top five or ten defensively doesn't always necessarily anchor like where your team is headed. But certainly Jalen Carter yesterday, that was the big story because, Kevin, when he was supposed to talk to the media yesterday, uh, he was in the headlines, but not for anything that was said at the post. No, he was actually on his way back to Athens, Georgia, was booked last night, released on bail, um, his involvement is wanted, or I guess his involvement has led to this in a reckless driving incident that sadly killed one of his teammates and another Georgia staff member. This was last month, right after their national championship win. Um, and, and the trickle-down effect and the domino effect here involving the Colts is you've got Chicago at one, you've got Arizona at three, two teams that seemingly would want defensive help. They're good at the quarterback position. So if those two teams decide to stay at one or three, the thought is Jalen Carter would be a pick, either for Chicago at one or Arizona at three. Does this lessen the appeal of Jalen Carter? Um, There were, I think, some questions about him off the field before this. I don't want to act like glaring, glaring questions, but there were some concerns. And you would think this would play into that. So, you know, if I'm the Bears, I'm sitting there thinking, is the player worth the number one overall pick or is the bevy of picks I'm being offered worth trading back? And in Chicago's case, if I were running the show there, I'd probably trade back twice. You trade back to Houston at two, get a bit of what they've got, which they've got a ton of draft picks, and then I might trade back again with Indianapolis at four if the Colts do feel like they need to get up there to get that second quarterback. So I thought yesterday's news uh, was very important and impactful to the Colts because it could take away one of the top non-quarterbacks in this draft and maybe slide him down into round one, deeper into round one. when it comes to drafting quarterbacks, let's go back to what Chris Ballard had to say yesterday in terms of, and this is what I'm talking about, Kevin, when I say, and I agree with you, I mean, the Colts have some good pieces, right? We know Quentin Nelson's a very good player. I thought you made an excellent point yesterday with JMV about Shaq Leonard and the fact that how aggressive the Colts are with Bobby Okereke in terms of re-signing him as a free agent 
may shed some light on what they think about Shaq Leonard's health, although it's hard to know yeah. his health status until he's out there running around, right, and, and, and in contact. But, you know, Jonathan Taylor obviously is an elite player. But when it comes down to it in the National Football League, the most important position is quarterback. And Chris Ballard talked about the development time period for quarterbacks and what is necessary when you are drafting a young player and then – putting, of course, the team around him. Here's Chris Ballard on the quarterback position. Well, I think they all need development. This is They're in there in a league that's a much different. And I know the one you're targeting, but look, they all need... They're, they're not all going to step into this league and just kill it. Like, they all... Like, the defenses are different. The disguise, the post-snap reads that they have to do. Everything is faster. And so they all need development. Um, and so I don't want to sit here and act like you know, there's one over the other that they all need it. I mean, it, I think every one of these guys need development. And that's the challenge, Kevin, right there. That that means, and if I'm Chris Ballard, I'm preaching that till the cows come home because the longer development that you can convince your owner and your fan base that your quarterback needs, the more time you're buying yourself. Well, I mean, everyone needs it. Trevor Lawrence needed it. Right. You know, I mean, it's that's just welcome to this day and age and just that position and how different it can be from college to the NFL. I thought one of the things that Shane Steichen really harped on, and again, we'll have Shane Steichen join us tomorrow at 9 o'clock um, here at the Combine, really focused on when it's 3rd and 8, can you deliver a strike with someone barreling down on you? You know, that accuracy element, while Steichen mentioned you can teach some of that, there still is just that innate backyard ability of can you deliver it when all that chaos is happening around you. And when I hear that, what I'm looking for, Jake, is a combination of three things. You're looking for poise, you're looking for accuracy, and you're looking for athleticism. And I'm probably, it's probably, well, I think it's fair to say this, Jake. Let's take poise and athleticism. Typically, if you have one, you don't have the other. And I know that's a bit unfair to say, but typically if you've got well, one... Well, if, if you lack the latter, you better have the former. Exactly. Yeah. So, you know, th- that is why you're probably at that level, because you have one right. of the two. Having both of them, you're Patrick Mahomes, or, or you're something to that effect. But that, I think, is what I would be looking for. And, and when I say poise, I think the accuracy element kind of falls into that bucket, because to me... If you're poised, that means your eyes are always down the field. You know where the football should be going. You can deliver it uh, with anticipation. You can throw guys open, all of those phrases. And when I hear poise, the combination of poise and athleticism, to me of these aspects, that's where I go to Bryce Young. I understand the height concerns, obviously, and, and you know, durability might be a huge question. But I also know the coach the Colts just hired in Shane Steichen. And what I love, and we're going to hear it tomorrow from Shane Steichen, and we heard it again yesterday. What I love from hearing, if I were a Colts fan, what I love hearing from Shane Steichen on a routine basis is everything is such a modern approach to how the offensive game needs to be played in today's day and age of we don't force a system upon our quarterback. We take that quarterback and we cater the system around that. And if Bryce Young's his quarterback, there might be a whole lot of let's move the pocket. Let's get this guy outside of the pocket. Let's make sure that his height is not necessarily a detriment to where we're dropping back 40 times a game and he's under center and he might not be able to see all of the lanes. And and that's to where I think you offer the poise trait, which is really hard to teach, and then you give him an offensive play caller 
that is proven to cater a system around that quarterback, to me, that is the most dynamic pairing that you see in this draft. And again, you just touched on it, Kevin. Shane Steichen yesterday was asked about, and we're going to hear from him about when you have a quarterback, you know, there are a couple of ways to do it. And, and I, we can see here in Indianapolis, if you look at franchise quarterbacks that you draft with the number one overall pick, and you look at the way that the team is built, we have tangible evidence of two different, and, and I'm not saying that they're the same player, but Peyton Manning, when he was drafted here, Peyton Manning was going to be great. You know, Peyton Manning's Peyton Manning. I, I get that. But he also had the benefit here of the same O coordinator all the way through, Tom Moore, right? He, they, they sit down and they come up with code words and, you know, Louisville Soul Train and, and Omaha and all these things, and they he's working the same system every single year, and he has continuity. He's the number one overall pick in the draft, and they organically grow everything around him with stability and consistency from the get-go. They perhaps learned off the fact that eight years prior to that, at the beginning of that decade, they, they draft Jeff George number one overall, and Jeff George has, what, three head coaches in the first five years and four different coordinators, and he's learning all kinds of different systems, and we're going to run, you know, the run and shoot, and we're going to run West Coast, you know, whatever. I'm just throwing out offenses. But, I mean, it, it was constant turnover and, and, and then never got footing, and then, lo and behold, they're right back into square one eight years later. So that always begs the question for me with any player, and you hear me ask coaches about this all the time, especially in basketball, is it easier to recruit to your system or system to your recruits? Shane Steichen talked a little bit about that in terms of the approach when it comes to the quarterback position. Yeah, that makes sense. I think, again, whoever that guy is back there throwing it, you got to adjust to him. you got to build the offense around the quarterback first and foremost. You can't be stuck in your ways of, hey, this is the system we run or whatever it is. Like, got to be able to adapt to that guy. And not only that guy, it's all the players around him, the receivers, the tight ends, put those guys in position to make plays. What does this receiver run well? What does this tight end do well? What does these backs do well, the offensive line? And I think it's the same thing on defense. Like, you got to put these guys into position to maximize their talents uh, so they can shine on Sunday. And again, that goes the reason why I the reason I say that or play that clip Kevin is because if if you feel it's necessary to 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 build or structure around what the quarterback wants and needs that further cements the point that this is not retool but possibly rebuild. Don't be stuck in your ways. I I just it might seem like that should be a common phrase, but you just have coaches that are stuck in their ways and are unwilling to adapt enough to – you watch college football on Saturday, it looks a lot different than the NFL on Sunday. But you have NFL organizations, and we talked to one of them yesterday, Nick Sirianni, that have adapted really, really well to catering around their young quarterback – the fact that Shane Steichen says that and the fact that he has history of doing it, that should be music to the ears of Colts fans. So um, it's words. That's all we can go off of in February and March. But I, I think you have to like a lot of what Shane Steichen is saying from an offensive point of view. And he reiterated it again yesterday. It is going to be you are throwing to score. And so I think you're going to see a lot of that from the Colts here in 2022 or 2023. Something I did want to mention, Jake, did you happen to see, um, and I guess we'll pull M- Mark in as well, either of you guys see the uh, that NFL PA player vote 
or I guess player uh, poll from yesterday. Yes. On team facilities. Did you you see that? Did not see that. So the NFL Players Association conducted a poll of over 1,300 players around the league, and basically you are evaluating your workplace environment. So Radio 1 would send us a poll and say, hey, how are, you know, what's the bathroom situation? What's the break room situation like, et cetera, et cetera. So the NFLPA sent out um, a survey to players based off treatment of families, food and nutrition, weight room, strength coaches, training room, training staff, locker room, and team travel. So they sent out a survey to all 32 teams, players on those teams, the Colts. Can I guess which was the lowest? Sure. Cincinnati. Oh, I, I just have the Colts oh, okay. on this one. Um, the Colts got an A-plus in training staff. So their training staff, kudos to them. They should all ask for a raise today. Uh, they were ranked number one in the NFL based off players' reaction. Uh, A-minus in strength coaches. B-plus in treatment of families. B in the training room. So a lot of strong grades right. where they did not do very well. Food service and nutrition, they got a D from their players. And in team travel, they got an F. Really? Now, what, what do you think is the complaint about team travel? Are they staying in, like, Howard Johnson's? So I think the team travel was more plane-related. Um, they mentioned in the story the, that the, uh, they always had to wait on the plane while Ursay did a video. <laughs> well, I think it's a little bit different travel situation than where Ursay is uh, leaving from versus the team. Uh, they are one of seven teams that do not offer first class seats to players. Really? I I felt with Grigson. I, I thought in the Grigson era, if you had played in the league for at least ten years, you could sit first class. I would think that just from a size standpoint, they I, – I, I, pardon my naivete here, Kevin. I just assumed – I mean, I flew on the Rams plane once when I was working in St. Louis due to a, an unusual situation. There were only a handful of us that were covering – the Rams had a game on Christmas Eve and were kind enough to say, look, if you guys want to fly back so that you don't have to stay overnight and then fly on Christmas Day – and there were only a handful of us that were covering the game that we were, so we we got to fly on the plane, and that was a, the Rams had the plane, and the seats for the players themselves were like first class seats for for all of them. They just you know what I mean. It wasn't a chartered flight where you only had X number of first class seats. They had put in first first class seats, you know, fifty two of them or whatever. And I just assumed that's the way it was. Yeah, I mean, I was fortunate to travel with the team for, you know, about a handful of seasons. And I remember the Grigson era, you would have the Frank Gores, the Andre Johnsons, the Vinatieri's of the world, the Mathesis of the world. They would sit first class. And then, obviously, it's not like, oh, who gets the middle seat in the back? I mean, it's pretty much one player to a row once you get in the back part right. of the plane. But it was regular coach seating? I, I'm pretty sure it was. That, that surprises me, actually. So that I could see where that – now, if they were to give that – Survey for us, uh, parking gets an A+. Plus. Oh, without question. It's been great this week. Just walk over from, uh, from <laughs> I the mean, uh, parking having, garage. Having a 24-7, 365 parking spot in a basement of Monument Circle is the greatest thing ever. Would you the other thing mentioned in – go ahead, Mark. I was going to ask Jake if he wanted to venture get, oh, get another guess of who got the worst grades overall. It wasn't the Bengals. Is it – that now that, that the Bengals didn't even have an indoor practice facility, right? I mean, oh, it's got to be Washington. They're, they're no, yeah, we'll, we'll go with Washington. 
Treatment of families <laughs> F. That was. Treatment of families F. Food service slash nutrition D plus. Weight room C plus. Strength coach A plus. Training room F minus. Training staff D. Locker room F minus. Team travel F minus. I thought you couldn't get an F minus. Wow. Well, if anyone could do it, it's Dan Snyder's team. Yeah. How is team travel an F minus for an organization that's basically co-sponsored by FedEx? Don't they just have a ton of planes and they guarantee to get you anywhere overnight? How does that happen? It says uh, only 22% of players feel like they have enough space on team flights. The Commanders are one of six teams in the NFL that make a segment of their players have roommates before games and one of seven teams in the NFL that does not <laughs> offer their players first-class seats. They also hey, complain listen, about I, lack of I, warm water and showers that, and right? rat issues. Rat issues. What, what is this? Rat issues. Yeah, the, the rat is the owner. I, when A couple of years ago, I, I worked a freelance job for a broadcast of a sports car race out at Laguna Seca. So I get this phone call, and they're like, hey, you know, we're doing uh, – it's, it's an endurance race at Laguna Seca. Can you do it for the television side? And I'm like, yeah, sure. Of course, great. Awesome. So I fly out. I go to the hotel. I'm checking in. And they say, now, do you need a key to your room? Well, yeah, that, typically that is of assistance. And she says, well, I just wonder because we already gave one to your roommate. Excuse me? Your roommate. Roommate? <laughs> I know no one of this racing series. I know no one on this TV broadcast. And they tell me that, like, some uh, another journalist that was from, I, I think, England or Ireland was already in the room. And so I'm Little like, well, did he know what he was walking? Yeah, in? well, him. <laughs> that poor I guy. In, I walked in. Yeah. I, I'm I walked, more thinking about him. <laughs> I walked in the room, and this dude is laying on the bed with no shirt on, watching like some like cricket on television, and then like spoke oh, good to day, me. mate. I, yeah, and I, I was like, you know what? I'm just gonna swallow the the. Nope. extra money here and i ended up getting myself a room in gilroy california which is the garlic capital of the world and literally sat in a howard johnson's in gilroy which smelled like garlic and bad feet for two days now it, just so i could have my own room if i'm not mistaken mark i think the colts qualified as both of those commanders comments the one of seven teams that do not offer first class seats to their players and also the one of six teams that force many players to have roommates on the road which I, I've always now they had rat droppings in the stadium well, for a while, didn't they? Yeah, I, I, I don't know about the rat part of it, but I do remember this story back in then Darius Leonard's rookie season, and, and I thought it was just a rookie thing at the time. Darius Leonard and Zaire Franklin were roommates on the road, and their first road game is, ironically enough, in Washington. And Leonard, I, 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 I guess it was Franklin. Franklin would not stop snoring. So Darius Leonard takes the blankets and pillows off the bed and goes into the bathroom and sleeps in there, shuts the door, sleeps in the bathroom. Imagine sleeping in a hotel bathroom the night before your first NFL road game. That was Darius Leonard. And what does he do? He goes out and has 19 tackles and sets a franchise record the next day. <laughs> so Zaire Franklin became, you know, it's only fitting that Zaire Franklin would be the one that prohibits you from getting any Zs. But Zaire Franklin would actually then have been roomed. Shouldn't they just have put him with Shaquille Leonard for the yeah. rest of the year? Right. Yeah permanently on that uh the Colts players did say they feel very well supported by Jim Mercy's willingness to spend money to upgrade the facilities which I just think they did 97 percent on that front so they got overwhelmingly strong grades outside of food service nutrition team travel the the food service and nutrition one it says in here 
players having to pack their lunches rather than eat at the facility. You imagine? <laughs> All right. You know, do we got enough bologna in there? I'd take some of those Lunchables, man. All right. Got some cheese and crackers here for the day. And I know that is something that Chris Boward has wanted to highly invest in. That was one of his kind of big projects early on. And based off this survey, it doesn't look hey, like it's resonating. The Cardinals, got an, the Cardinals got an F- for food. And it says, for theirs, it says, if players would like dinner, it'll be boxed up for them. But players reported that the team will charge them via payroll deduction. This is the you only know, club to do this. They get charged for food. Do you know the Bengals? The, Beng- uh, the Bengals... When on draft night, when you get your, you know, you get drafted and they give you the hat and you walk across the stage, you put the hat on and you hug Roger Goodell or you know, the Bengals charge the draft pick their first paycheck. If they if they look at their paycheck, it has a deduction on there for like twenty seven dollars and such and such cents for a hat. What? I kid you not, man. I kid you not. Do you want to guess which team, Kevin? And Mark, if you're not looking at it, Mark, or if you're looking at it, Mark, confess. Kevin, what team got an A in treatment? A's all the way across the board. What team got straight A's in all of this and ranks first in terms of the content level for their players within the organization in all aspects? They gave it straight A's. The Dallas Cowboys. Mark, you got a guess or do you know? Uh, No, I don't know. Uh, I will say 49ers. I will tell you this hint. This organization's primary color happens to be the, f- the favorite color of its most famous native that is synonymous with the city in which they play. There is one person that is from a city in the NFL, an entertainer who is known for a color. Oh, the, the Minnesota Vikings? The Minnesota Vikings is correct. A little Prince action there? Yep. Paisley Park, baby. At Check first, it out. I felt like I was Mike Bray hungover trying to follow that one there. <laughs> well, Mark followed. Mark, what you time do you along. think Mike Bray left the linebacker last night? He said he was closing it down, right? And he said no curfew, closing it down. Hey, he said he was closing it down. Was there more, were there more people at the night. linebacker than at the game yesterday, Kev? <laughs> Mark, I, I hate to say it, but I think there were. They, oh, I saw. I saw Pete Sampson tweet that they were at capacity. At one point, at the linebacker, so I think Bray originally thought like when he said that it was just going to be kind of like family and friends. I don't think he realized that, you know, on a Wednesday night in South Bend. I mean, we're talking about it on sports up. radio in Indianapolis, so you can imagine in South Bend, right? Right. I, why did I not go? I got a busy nine o'clock hour here, live at the convention center. Kevin Bowen and Jake Query, Devin, our on-site engineer, Nick's rocking. A little camera action as we are live on YouTube as well. Mark Dykton back in studio, and we'll head to the Payless Liquors hotline. He is here in Indianapolis. He's one of our favorites, the great Field Yates NFL insider for ESPN. Field, where have your ventures taken you downtown Indianapolis outside of the old convention center so far this week? Oh, man, pretty much everywhere it feels like it. Thanks for having me on, guys. Always great to be joining you. So uh, I feel very full. I've had plenty of steak so far. I've been to St. Elmo's, had my shrimp. So um, I don't know if that makes me sound like a tourist when I say that I just basically (laughs) go to every spot that you'd expect someone to go to when they visit the great city of Indianapolis. But I'll survive if that's how I am being labeled now. <laughs> Fair enough. Nothing wrong with that. Hey, listen, we like spend all your money here, Field. That's the way we like it, right? Or ESPN um, money. That's right. Hey, let's begin with this. I was talking about this earlier, and I want your perspective on it. Um, we obviously know that there are probably four names that, that are going to be quarterbacks that are going to be taken high in this draft. Does that mean that this is a quarterback-rich draft field, 
or does it mean that there aren't necessarily players that jump out at you if you are not of quarterback need and thus the quarterbacks are going to be taken high just because there aren't necessarily trajectory changing players at other positions high in this draft actually a really great question an interesting way to think about the class in general because there are actually multiple factors in play in my estimation Uh, We know that quarterbacks tend to be thrust up the board just because it's such an important position. It is the most important position in all of sports. You have a great one, you have a chance. Um, When you don't, you find yourself, you know, kind of on the hamster wheel where the Colts uh, have been for the past few years. Um, So there's that factor, but there's also the factor that you alluded to, which is that I don't know that this draft is full of marquee players elsewhere. Right? Like, I don't know that we have 10 guys that are absolute stone cold, no doubt about it, blue chip players that are not quarterbacks. Maybe the, maybe the number is 10, but it may, it may not be 20. And I think in a normal draft, you may be looking at more depth across the board in terms of positional value, not at quarterbacks. So um, I do think that this draft will be defined by the quarterbacks. And I think that that's a stark contract from la- contrast from last year when, of course, there was just one quarterback taken in the first round, and it was Kenny Pickett, who was a solid but unspectacular prospect. But, yeah, I think if you're picking in the top ten and you need a quarterback, this actually is a pretty good year to have the needs and the value all align. Field, if I threw out quarterbacks go one, two, and three, what percentage would you give that to happen? Ooh, I, maybe not 50-50 just because – and here's the reason why I say that, but maybe, maybe it is 50-50, but not much more than that. The reason I say it is that we know Chicago and Arizona are going to be taking one, and the question is just how – like what sort of freight are the teams willing to pay to get up to one and three respectively if we assume that Houston stays at two? Um, and in that circumstance, I would imagine that Indianapolis, uh, I, I, you know, if, if it happens one, two, three, I think it means that the Colts have either moved up or, and if they haven't moved up, by the way, that means that two other teams are paying a major price to move up because the more teams that you have to skip who plausibly need a quarterback, the more expensive the price to move up is. That's just how it's going to be. So, Right now, the reason why the Bears have leverage at the very top of the board is because I believe there is a legitimate case for the Texans to move up, obviously the Colts to move up. You could make the case for Seattle and Detroit to move up the board to ensure that they got a quarterback or the quarterback that they wanted if they decided they wanted to use one of those premium picks, Carolina, Atlanta, etc. There's a lot of potential movement, so I don't think it's going to happen one, two, three, but... If it does, it'll be good for all our business because it will mean that we have had some wacky trade leading up to it. He's a great field, Yates, NFL insider for ESPN, co-host of the Fantasy Focus Football Podcast. You also hear him on with Mel Kuyper and Tom McShay. He does a great job quarterbacking that podcast this time of year as well. Uh, field focusing on the Bears and probably the biggest news item so far of Combine Week, and that was Jalen Carter and the arrest last night and his involvement in that tragic incident involving the death of two players associated with the Georgia program. How do you view that in regards to Chicago and Arizona? You mentioned Chicago at one and Arizona at three. Do you view the Jalen Carter situation as 
maybe that removes him from the top five, and all of a sudden Will Anderson becomes more of a priority. So maybe Chicago and Arizona won't want to trade back. Or do you view that as now those picks become more available to trade up with because now there isn't another non-quarterback worthy of a top five pick? Yeah, another interesting one there. And I think we all, you know, obviously there's still a lot to unfold with this situation, right? We don't know exactly how it is going to conclude. It is devastatingly sad that, you know, as you mentioned, two people are, are no longer alive. And Jalen Carter uh, did make clear on Twitter that uh, in a statement that he released that he expects to be fully exonerated uh, from any charges. Um, so we'll see how this actually unfolds. Um, so I think I'll stop short of like making too many assumptions about how it will or won't go. What I will say, though, is I always remind people that, you know, draft evaluation is like a multi-pronged approach. And you've got the football component of it, which in a lot of cases for all of us is pretty straightforward. Uh, Jalen Carter is one of the most talented players in this year's class. He would have been one of the most talented players in last year's class. And he's probably one of the most talented players in next year's class as well. Um, but this is a reminder that you're not just investing in the player, you're investing in a human. And if this is um, not, not um, this specific type of behavior where he's involved in, you know, potentially street racing and that could have contributed to a car crash, fatal car crash. Um, but like if, if, if accountability as a trait is something you're concerned with, with a prospect, it does impact his draft stock. So um, I don't know exactly how it's going to all shake out, but, it's just a reminder to people that um, we have to, you know, teams have to dig deeper. There are multiple parts of the puzzle that aren't just, okay, well, he's an awesome pass rusher or he's an awesome receiver or he's a great left tackle. There's a lot that goes into it. Field, does it compromise? And, and again, Field Yates is our guest from ESPN. He's on the Payless Lickers Hotline. I, I want to make very clear, as you did very well there field uh, you know in, within perspective we understand the tragedy of the fact that two people lost their life i mean that's obviously the real um in terms of this incident with jalen carter or his involvement or lack thereof but that's the obviously the overwhelming storyline and that is understood but from the standpoint of this combine and this draft does jalen Car- this question mark about jalen carter's value now as the number one overall pick not as a player but just all that comes with it does that now compromise the leverage that Chicago has with that number one overall now? Because teams can now say to them, hey, listen, you might as well deal with us because what are you going to do? You can take a guy number one overall that, that had to leave the combine to go serve an arrest warrant. Does it hurt in any way, shape, or form Chicago's positioning? I don't think so. And the reason why is that I don't necessarily think that the teams that will be moving up to number one are competing against what Chicago might do. Otherwise, it's competing against the possibility that if you're the Colts, this is an example, and you think that you can not move up all the way to four because uh, you don't know that Chicago's going to get a deal, well, you might have Carolina come up ahead behind you or, or Seattle or Detroit or any of those teams that, as I mentioned before, have a legitimate case to move up. So I mean, maybe it impacts things a tiny bit, um, but – I also am reminded that just because we on the outside sort of view a player or you know a players as like clear cut one or clear cut top two, maybe the league wasn't there yet. So it's possible that how Jermaine, excuse me, that how Jalen Carter was being valued prior to yesterday 
is different inside the league than how we on the outside of the league uh, were sort of discussing him. So um, I think Chicago still is in like a fairly strong position of leverage. And it's always also determined by circumstances. You know, I don't know that um, in a different year that a team who has a first year head coach who's been on the job for less than a month would be sort of, you know, they they would be anxious for a quarterback. Um, That being said, Obviously, the general manager who has been here for a long time is anxious for a quarterback, and so is, a, so is the owner. And I know that Chris Ballard has deservedly gotten a strong uh, you know, vote of support from Jim Irsay, but I'm sure he probably realizes that if he doesn't get a quarterback soon, you know, fans are going to come calling for, for change. And so that might be why Indianapolis, as an example, and Houston, as an example, even at four and two, respectively, are saying, we've got to get this right this year because we don't have time to waste anymore. Kenny's Field Yates from ESPN. You've heard him on with us before. Gracious with his time here at the Combine on this Thursday morning. You brought up Detroit and Seattle as other teams that could potentially jump Indianapolis um, and get higher into the draft to take a quarterback. I think the first domino in all of this is probably the Derek Carr situation. Um, obviously Aaron Rodgers, but you know Carr has been here in Indy. He's met with teams. Frank Reich talked about him very candidly yesterday. When you think of kind of an ideal landing spot for Derek Carr, what where are you? Yeah, I'm assuming somewhere in the NFC South or the Jets. I think the three teams that have been mentioned the most are probably the finalists. And I, there's always the possibility of a late entrant into the party, but the Saints, the Panthers, and the Jets seem the most logical candidates for Derek Carr. He's got familiarity in a couple of those spots. Really, in all those spots, you can make the case for some familiarity. And I think there's a different type of allure for each of them. New Orleans, he has the most familiarity. He would play for Dennis Allen, his prior head coach with the Raiders, even if it was a short tenure uh, with then the Oakland Raiders uh, for Dennis Allen. Uh, Carolina, there's some familiarity as well. There's a case that Carolina would be the obvious NFC South favorite the moment they signed Derek Carr. And then with the Jets, maybe the case is it's the best roster elsewhere, elsewhere like amongst those three, but... I, I, mean, I would probably I would answer this question with the question: If the Jets sign Derek Carr right now, I mean, Buffalo's still the favorite in that division, right? Like I would, and, and you know, you're talking about a conference that has the Chiefs and you know the Chargers on the rise and you know, the Bengals and potentially the Ravens with Lamar Jackson. Like, there's a lot of horsepower in the AFC. That if I'm Derek Carr and I want to win, it sure feels like the the path to a playoff spot is uh, less. Uh, daunting in the NFC than it is in the AFC. Field Yates is our guest. Field, my last question is this. I, I likened this yesterday to this analogy. When I was in high school and you were applying to colleges, the narrative, at least when I was in school, was your grade point average and your resume within the high school was like 80% of the decision, and then the SAT score was kind of your tiebreaker. If you were on the fence, a good SAT score could certainly help you, but not necessarily hurt you. When it comes to the NFL Combine and this particular weekend or this week, what percent of it is the the measurables in terms of the physical things that guys are doing during a workout, the 40 time, the broad jump, the, the bench press, etc.? And then what percent of it is the actual interviews and the ability to communicate and show your character with teams? On average, the most important part of this week is the medicals. 
uh, for, for like, if you were to say, you know, for the 320 guys here, what's the most important part on average? It's the medicals because in the case of some of them, there are known, you know, physical issues that they're entering the combine with that have to be sorted through. And there are others where it's something that you thought was a thing of the past that all of a sudden is a thing of the present and a concern for the future. Um, and I think beyond that, though, it's a little bit sort of specific to each prospect. Um, so Bryce Young, obviously, you know, the most important part for him is going to be his weight. Honestly, I, I can't recall. Maybe you guys uh, have better better memory of this, but like, when was the last time a prospect's weight was talked about as much as Bryce Young's was? And I suppose maybe the answer is Devontae Smith. Uh, but even Devontae Smith, it was like, you know, a wide receiver. So he's getting hit, what, 10 times a game maybe if he gets that many targets. So um, Bryce Young's weight will be a massive question, as will his height. And then you go to other players where, you know, it's a, it's a cornerback. The tape tells you he looks like a star, but you're a little concerned if he runs a 4-5 as opposed to a 4-3. Um, so I'd say beyond the medical, it's like definitely prospect-specific. Field, last one from me. Um, and, again, appreciate your time here on this Thursday morning. Field Yates from ESPN is with us. Uh, you obviously talk to Mel Kuyper and Todd McShay a whole lot, and you do your own homework. We talk so much quarterback, and um, rightfully so, I guess. But where else do you see draft depth here in 2023, um, some other positions that you feel like is pretty good depth in this draft class? Yeah, everybody's been talking about the tight end class, which I do agree is, is, is very, very, very good. I don't know that there's – but there's not a Kyle Pitts prospect, and obviously Kyle Pitts had a disappointing year last year. But, you know, there wasn't it wasn't a question about whether he would go in the top ten. It was would he be the highest tight end ever drafted. Really good tight end group. I think the cornerback group is interesting. I think there's got, like, pretty good flavor, pretty, pretty good, like, differing skill set for each of the top four or five guys. I think the offensive tackle group kind of drops off after the first four or five, but it's pretty good. Pass rushers, you know, we have Will Anderson. We have Tyree Wilson. Uh, we have a couple other guys who could go in the top 15. Again, it sort of depends on which draft analyst or team you are talking to. But the, the, the pass rushing group has some good depth as well. So those are some of the spots that I think certainly check the boxes. And then, you know, I think kind of every year we're talking about running back having pretty good depth, right? Part of the reason why, um, you know, the value of a running back uh, in the first round is, is, is sort of depreciating or has depreciated over time. Although I do think there's an excellent chance that B. John Robinson is the highest drafted running back since Saquon Barkley and probably comes close to being worth that pick. Um, but I, I think those are some of the spots that come to mind for me. And Field Yates, you can catch him on first draft. That's Mel Kuyper and Todd McShay. And Field does a wonderful job of keeping those two in line as best as possible and getting their terrific insight. And obviously he is all over ESPN. Field, it was great run into you yesterday. Um, hope Indy treats you well this week and safe travels back home. I appreciate you guys. Thanks for having me on. And uh, thanks to the great city of Indianapolis. I hope that we're here for many, 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 many more years going forward at the Combine because there is no more perfect place for it. I love hearing that. Thanks, Field. All right, guys. Take care. Now, I'll let you you and Zach talk because you guys got on me, Top Meyer, because I ate the shrimp cocktail, but I was standing up, so I wasn't on camera. You did so, eat it. I did. Yeah, yeah. So I've got it. And this one's pretty loaded, actually. And I will admit, I have very weak sinuses. I'm the first to admit it. There's no better allergy medicine than shrimp cocktail. You guys go ahead. Sinuses cleared. Zach Kiefer is with us here on Radio you know, Row at the convention I haven't center. had any coffee yet. Right. So that 
might just be the way to wake up this morning. Oh, 100%. Right? We'll get I mean, literally right? just smell it probably is, is the a, best I way. I had a couple the other night, so I'm, I I had my feel this week, though. <laughs> Zach Keeper from The Athletic is with us. He was obviously here yesterday for Shane Steichen and Chris Ballard and those pressers. Zach, it's lying season, and I feel like you just have to throw that into every caveat whenever we talk about you know people in positions of authority speaking to the media. My biggest takeaway yesterday was Chris Ballard, as of March 1st, is hesitant on trading up. That's what he wants us to think. It, do you believe it? Is it smokescreen? What was your big takeaway from Chris Ballard? Did you hear the last question I asked? We had him off to the side, kind of behind a wall, away from the normal podium, and I said, where do you feel about four right now? He says, I love four. No one, nowhere else I'd rather be. We're going to get the best player in the draft. And I said, really? That was said, such a politician answer. And, and I'm, that's kind of what I feel like yesterday was about. First of all, I think on two levels, it was about downplaying this team's desperation to go get a quarterback, right? Jim Irsay mentioned how much he loves Bryce Young and Shane Steichen's intro presser. That's not good. And then a lot was made of Chris Ballard's comments back on January 10th. I would do whatever it takes to go get that guy at the top of the draft. Chicago essentially just penciled it in, right? It's going to happen. The Colts are going to trade up. They're desperate. I think yesterday was Ballard's attempt, whatever you believe or not, to downplay that desperation. But I still don't know if I believe him. Now, Zach, sorry, Kevin. I want to throw this in because I'm the classic overthinker, right? I'm the classic cynic. Did Jim Mercer tip his hand that he loved Bryce Young, or did he simply say the Alabama guy? And we assumed, because of the Colts' need, it's the quarterback, but perhaps Jim Mercer, who finds himself to be the outside-the-box football thinker, was thinking of another Alabama prospect that's a top-five player. He wants a quarterback. He wants a quarterback more than anybody, more than any fan out there, more than anybody in the building. He wants a quarterback. He is dead tired of the veteran QB Was he route. playing poker by making that comment, or is it, more, is it safer to say Jim Ursay was unfiltered? I think Ursay is being Ursay. He's saying what he thinks. He yeah. can't help himself. There's no way I can see him huddling with Shane Syke and Chris Ballard in the indoor facility before that starting saying, watch this, I'm going to go out there and smoke screen the hell out of him. a million years. No, I think that was Ursay being Ursay. Um other Ballard-related stuff from yesterday, Zach, and I guess I'll go back to the first question. Feel free to take it wherever you want, but we're still very, I think, early in the Colts' evaluation on these guys. I mean, you think about it, they're meeting with quarterbacks this week, so for Shane Steck and Chris Ballard, this is the first time that they've potentially talked with these guys one-on-one. You're going to have a pro day. You might bring them in for a top 30 workout. You know, I go back to that 2018 draft when he was sold on Quentin Nelson. That was Notre Dame's pro day. He said a guard can go at six overall. That was in late March. So I feel like from an evaluation standpoint, we're probably only about 50% there with how the Colts view these QBs. Not even 50. And, and this week is so overrated. I was talking to a Colts staffer yesterday, and they said, like, this week is all about interviews and measures and, and, and medical, right? Medical, like the boring yeah. stuff, right? Nothing Saturday on the field. And I'm going to go way. Saturday. I'm going to watch these guys throw. And it's not going to matter. Like Ballard said yesterday, you can see everything you need to see physically on the tape. It's not going to be what they do against air on Saturday, throwing to receivers they don't know. One interesting thing Ballard mentioned was that you can get a lot from the interviews with the media. We're talking quarterbacks, right? Face of the franchise. The pressure that's going to come with that position, he wants to see how these guys handle the 15-minute media blitz they get. Tomorrow morning. Tomorrow morning, 8 o'clock for these top quarterbacks. But here's what I want to ask you guys. They downplayed the measurables on Bryce Young. That's, that's the question. Right? I think everything, everything in this decision comes down to one thing. 
how do they evaluate Bryce Young? If he's the guy, you go get him. It doesn't matter. You can't allow Houston to draft him and then lose to him for 10 years. That's just a terrible look. But secondly, it's does Chris Ballard bend on his very disciplined approach with measurables, traits, physical ability? That's going to be a really interesting and difficult decision in that draft room over the next couple of months that you mentioned. Because Shane Steichen kept talking about the it factor as opposed to the physical traits being the most important thing for him. He's got to love football. I feel like it's going to be really hard for Ballard to draft Bryce Young in a lot of ways because he's not what he thinks a quarterback should look like physically. Zach, I said this this morning off the top of our show. When you talk about football and you talk about players and you talk about coaching, oftentimes you talk about flexibility and and making adapting right making changes whatever i think what we have seen in a good way is maybe we're seeing somewhat of an adapting from chris ballard and whether he knows it or not chris ballard to me when he was talking to the media at one point he said i know you guys have a narrative i know you got you know he he, he it's our fault right we're just we're just making stuff up then later in the same press conference, Zach, he talked about the offensive line and said, you know what, I was wrong in a lot of the areas in which I evaluated this offensive line and what was affecting it. And you know what else he did without even realizing it? He admitted we weren't. Not, we weren't. Not the first time. Right? So so it, as a result of that, I think what you're seeing now is that Chris Ballard without even realizing it, is admitting to the fact that he is showing flexibility and adjustment in the way that he builds a franchise. Yeah, there was a lot of pushback in the last couple of years. I mean, Kevin was called out multiple times right. for asking about receivers. Right. And they weren't good enough at receiver. And I think, you know, once they sort of figured that out this year, it became a lost topic because of so many other issues. But I think you're right, Jake. And after the season, he promised to evaluate every inch of the operation because it was all messed up, right? What led to 4-12-1? and one? wasn't just the quarterback and it wasn't just the offensive line it was everything together and they a lot of them pushed some of the blame onto Frank Reich and pushed it away from Jeff Saturday we don't need to rehash all of that but my takeaway from this past season was everything needs to be evaluated your entire approach and again the big thing is he admits to screwing up on the offensive line you're going to draft a young quarterback who's not going to be Andrew Luck or Peyton Manning who's not going to be able to handle all of that right away what kind of offensive line are you going to put him behind and I thought it was an important question yesterday is that a personnel issue? Is that a coaching issue? They've got a new coach coming in, but I still think they've got a huge question at right guard, and maybe a lot of teams overlook that position. This team cannot. And if you roll with Ryman at left tackle, that's still a question. So to your, to your point, Jake, he needs to reevaluate his thinking because it's deeply flawed, and it led to the disaster that was this past season. Yeah, I don't know if I'm ready to say that he has like, looked in the mirror and admitted, admitted all this wrong. Like I, 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 that's fair. Also, you know, I, I just don't know if I'm ready to say that yet, and maybe I just have to see actions. It doesn't matter what he says. For me, right. All and, that matters and, is what they. And do. to be fair to him, he can only talk right now. You know, you can't yeah. really do anything action-wise. Free agency starts in less than two weeks. That's when you'll start to get some actions, and then of course the draft. We'll have to see that pl- play out. Um, shifting gears to the staff, Zach. What did you make of the Bubba Ventrone? thing is that a we wanted him back and Cleveland sweetened the pot what do you he's going home what did you make of that talk to Bubba this week without getting into too many details he does have family out there maybe that's an issue maybe that's a pull 
back to Cleveland. He played there. That matters a lot. Pittsburgh to native him. for those unfamiliar. And this is me talking, and this is not Bubba talking, but they by- bypassed him for Jeff Saturday in a situation where a lot of players expected him to be the head coach. When Frank Reich was out with COVID a couple years ago, who did they turn to? Not Matt Eberflus, not they turned to Bubba Ventrone, who was. And he didn't get a second interview, correct? Did he not just get had a second first interview, just had the first one. Um, him and Ballard are tight. He's still tight with a lot of guys on the staff. I, I think he felt like if I had a chance to jump with a promotion and title, it, it, I felt like it was him saying, I'm, I'm ready to bounce. Again, Zach Kiefer from The Athletic is with us here live at the Combine. We are at the Convention Center. Workouts begin today for the defensive prospects coming up this afternoon, as Zach alluded to. Big morning tomorrow with the quarterbacks meeting the media. Um, I hope I don't catch off guard with this. Did you see the Wink Martindale story from yesterday? I did not. Okay, so Wink Martindale with NewJersey.com. And again, Wink, uh, defense coordinator at the Giants, interviewed here, had a second interview here. Um, he said to them that the Colts' job could have been his if he would have abided by some of the guidelines the team wanted. This is Wink Martindale's comments. I'll read this quote. Uh, This is from Martindale to Bob Brokeover of NJ.com. I do know I was the leading candidate, but there were some things they wanted to do that I didn't want to do. What do you make of that? Gus Bradley. Okay, that was my first thought. If that is, did Chris Bauer say in interviews, Gus Bradley is the defensive coordinator here? I don't know if he said that explicitly, but that was implied. That's what the team wanted to do. And I have a problem with that. If you're going to hire a defensive coach, let's say hypothetically you're seriously considering Wink Martindale. You don't tell him to hire. Without a question. You let him hire whoever he wants. And his defense is very different than Gus Bradley's. It's very different, and you let the coach hire the coaches that's going to work for him. Um, I know a lot of the coaches, including Shane Steichen, pushed for Gus Bradley to remain in that role, which he will. But, and I know a lot of people, you know, I just don't like teams telling coaches who to hire. And I think that was a little bit of the issue with Wink Martindale. Maybe he would have gotten the job. Maybe he wouldn't have, regardless of what he decided to do with Gus Bradley. But I don't think you should be telling the defensive coach who his coordinator should be. Zach, I've asked a lot of people this this week. Zach Kiefer is our guest here on site at the Combine. And I, I know for the Colts, it's, it's quarterback. I mean, I get it. Do you think this is a draft that has three or four quarterbacks that are going to be taken up towards the top? because there are three or four quarterbacks that are franchise talents or because there are more than three or four teams that need quarterbacks and there are not a lot of great players at other positions? It's probably the latter. Yeah. Jake, I heard it you, guys, feels that I heard way, you guys talking with Field Yates, and I've been talking to people around the league this week, and it's like I'm kind of just living in this bubble right now with the Colts and the teams ahead of the Colts, right? Houston's obviously the biggest competitor for that top quarterback. But, like, what if Seattle – moves up? What if they feel like they could get a guy who could sit for a year behind Geno? I mean, what about Zach, Detroit, who's loaded up with The picks? Jets. Like, there are teams that, 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 that... I'm just throwing out the Jets. There are teams out there that you, you may not even think about that you're like, well, wait a minute. Falcons and Panthers are in the top ten. Falcons, Pan- I mean, there's a lot of them, right? And if you get a good quarterback in the NFC South, he's immediately Ooh. the best quarterback oh, in no the question. NFC South, because they don't have anybody right now. Center Grove starter is the best quarterback. Yeah, if I'm Derek Carr, I'm going to, I'm going to Carolina, because it's like... Who else are the quarterbacks in that division right now? But, no, you're right. And, and, and that's the thing that really a lot of people haven't discussed is because Ballard is like, I love four, I love four. Yeah, but what does four look like in April? That's the question. Who is in front of you in, in April? And how much does this Jalen Carter situation bump him down in a lot of teams' eyes, especially Chicago? Could Chicago feel like they can still get him at four? And, and that's going to be the fascinating part because – 
the Colts have really, in a way, boxed themselves in. They have to take a quarterback. It's an imperfect draft. And these are imperfect prospects. And they're going to have to live with whatever happens. But you guys feel good sitting on your hands and sitting back at four? I'm telling you right now, here's the thing. I do not. We, Zach, I keep saying this. What I keep saying over and over and over, and I don't know the answer to this yet, is that's going to come down to whether or not how great the gap is in their assessment between one to four. Right. If they, if to them they're interchangeable, you then, then four, you're okay you at four. Child, and you're fine. Yeah. Correct. And I, I, when are they ever interchangeable though? I get it when they're not when, so when, rare. When none of them are elite, that's when they're interchangeable. That's These my prospects point. are so different though from from my you know blind view. Like they're they're so different. We are There's so much nuance with the quarterback. The, the good the luxury you have there, Zach, if any, is the Colts have a head coach who has shown a track record of being able to work with different styles of quarterback, so that you're not as pigeonholed, right? Right, 100%. And I thought Shane Steichen, I, I really liked what we heard from him yesterday. He was very direct, didn't waste words, very confident in what he thinks. And I think the, most, the thing that stood out to me the most was him saying over and over, it's that it factor, that intangible thing we always say in the media that we don't really, or not really able to describe. But he, he wants a guy that's going to love ball. And that's not going to be learned this week, right? It's not going to be learned in these 15-minute interviews. But you mentioned the pro days and those long 30 visits. Like, that's where they're going to start to really feel. And he said they're going to vet everything they can. They're going to call every teammate they can. I think that's where Steichen's going to be sold on the quarterback. Forget the tape. Forget the stuff, the measurable stuff. These guys are all talented, physical specimens. It's the it factor, and that's the hardest thing to find, and that's why so many quarterbacks And you mentioned that bust. yesterday with Justin Herbert and their interactions with him during the draft process. Zach, you got like five more minutes? Yeah. Okay. All right, we're rounded another day out here at the Combine. Zach Kiefer joining us for another segment here to close things out. Obviously, Zach's work up on the athletic free agency. We mentioned, Zach, a week or, uh, yeah, a week from Wednesday, 13 days away. Uh, in-house-wise, any opinions on Yanni Kangakwe, Paris Campbell? Bobby O'Karica? Maybe Paris. I don't think the other two are back. I think Bobby O'Karica ends up in Chicago. No on Ngakwe with Gus Bradley back? Were you impressed with Ngakwe this year? Uh, I, I thought w- his sack numbers were a little misleading. I, I was not as impressed as the numbers would look. Like, if you would have told me 15 games played, nine and a half sacks, 27 years old, th- those are dream numbers. The Colts haven't gotten a defensive end in years. Didn't but feel like nine and a half sacks. Yeah, and the fourth quarter came around. You know, he was not closing for you at all. My question, though, is just who else at defensive end? You're well, he mentioned it yesterday, the GM. Just so much on Quiddy Pay's plate, a little so bit much of, on Dio It's Dango's a little bit plate. of a jump to go with Quiddy and Dio in year three for them as the starters at defensive end, but Ngakwe's going to want a lot of money, and I just don't feel like that's the best pay. Like, I just don't feel like he's worth the money. He's, he's smaller than it seems. He doesn't win in the fourth quarters. He, he got a lot of kind of like, you know, end of half sacks and it just didn't feel like that was the right play. It just my gut tells me that was not the investment the Colts want to make moving forward. I thought Kevin made a great point yesterday, which is the Colts are kind of in a pickle with Okereke because what you want to pay him or what his worth to you is is largely predicated on the availability of Shaquille Leonard, and, and they're not going to know until after the fact the availability of Shaquille Leonard, right? I mean, it's a... Thank God for Zaire Franklin. Yeah, you're right. Because right, he's there. Um, I talked to Bobby at length about this at the end of the season, and he's going to go in with an open mind. Remember, third-round pick, 
This is his chance to cash in because he was underpaid for what he produced the last four years in Indianapolis. He had a nice year last year. I mean, he did, and nobody noticed it. The defense was solid for the most part. He was a big part of that. Zaire played well and had all the tackles, but. Um, I think Okereke is not going to just jump at the biggest number thrown his way. He's going to go for fit. He knows this is an important decision. He's going to be patient. He didn't rule out coming back. He obviously has an affinity for Matt Eberflus. Everybody on that defense talked about potentially reuniting with Matt Eberflus, it seemed like, at the end of the season. But um, I don't know if you can give Okereke the contract he deserves yeah. while paying Leonard $100 million. The questions are real, Jake, because they can't answer those right now either. Right, I, I'd bring back EJ Speed just because it makes more another sense. Another one, he's another guy that had a nice year, right? Um, then Bobby Okereke. Uh, last one from me: Would you be more surprised to see Ryan Kelly off this team come April one, or Kenny Moore off this team come April one? More surprised? I wouldn't be surprised at either. I'm not predicting anything. Um, I think both could be off this team in a variety of ways. I think Kenny could be included in a trade to Chicago, a potential trade. He voiced his concerns and disappointment and displeasure at the end of the season, very honestly saying to me and one other reporter, he didn't click with Gus Bradley. And he, did, he wasn't the same player this season. And he seemed to blame part of it on this coaching scheme and part of it on his play. So it feels like if I had to pick one of the two, Kenny Moore will probably not be back. But we'll see. We'll what see. are you working on? Quarterbacks. You're going to be there Saturday to see them throw? I'm going to be there tomorrow morning to hear them talk, and I'm going to hear <laughs> what I have to say, and then I'm going to be there Saturday to see what they see what they do on the field against no defense. He's Zach Kiefer from The Athletic. Shane Sykin joins us tomorrow at 9 o'clock. It'll be our final day at the Combine. Everybody have a great Thursday.